anarchy, acts of terror, crimes against the public. To combat it, I've got special men, experts from the army, the police, from every service. These are the professionals. This is your Everest. Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome to This Is Your Everest, the bonus analogue TV podcast that is comprised of pure malt. Pure malt. I don't know why that phrase tickles me so much. I think the phrase pure malt scotch, which obviously has basically formed 60% of what we've been speaking about ever since you started watching The Professionals. Yeah. It's it's so perfect because it's very familiar and it makes complete sense, but at the same time, it's not the right words. It's kind of wrong, isn't it? Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it's... It's a malapropism it's, without yeah. being factually incorrect. Yeah. You, you'd say it would, it would be a single malt. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Well, yeah, because all scotch is pure malt, isn't it? They're not making some scotch. Maybe they are. Who knows? Maybe we have know. maligned Cowley this whole time. But this is... I just think it's funny. I just, for some reason, the phrase pure malt scotch, I think it's funny. I told you to lay off Tuffy. I told you, but no. You go charging in against my orders. Are you deaf or something? Are you just plain pig ignorant? Steady on, he just took a glass of scotch in the face. Scotch? Pure malt, particularly good. Then you're not just deaf, you're daft. A pure malt scotch in a face like yours. Oh, you're angry, eh? Deep down frustrated, want to punch someone in the face angry. You know, my karate master taught me about anger. Channel it, he said. Take it, he said. Let it throb up through your body. Let it build and grow and then concentrate it. Let it, let it burst out through your fingers. <laughs> Have a scotch. It's malt and it's pure. And for your edification, there is no such thing as a particularly good one. They're all damn good. And don't go wasting over that face of yours. Aim for your mouth. It is the fuel of this programme. And this is Mm -hmm. The Professionals. The ITV... Was it LWT? It was. LWT high-intrigue action drama series that ran between the 30th of December 1977... And the 6th of February 1983 for five series mm. and 57 episodes. I mean, me and this program go back a long way. Did you ever watch it at the time? Yes. Oh. It was it was appointment viewing. I wouldn't be able to tell you how old I was at the time. I know I was older than five. But you didn't realise at the time exactly what a goldmine this program was. I was probably eight or nine. And we just thought it was ridiculously exciting and that was all I took in as a yeah. eight year old or That's a nine year old. Loads of car chases and it is know, exciting. People, people killing each other and you know and 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 the 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 actual oddness of the structure of the programme obviously would not have occurred to me then. Yeah. The total lack of characterization the flimsy plot justifications. Yeah, yeah. I mean, n- none of that would have done. But, um... <laughs> well, it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's just excitement, isn't it? It is, it's, it is a show that is pure MacGuffin, to use the yeah. Hitchcockian term. 
it doesn't really matter what it is that they're running towards or running away from. All mm. we need to know is that they're running towards or running away from it. The, the, the thing is that they've been on my to-do list for such a long time. Yeah, um, <laughs> I had them years ago, but they were really bad copies of it. Yeah. And we, you know, I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. Park that thought. And so I never really got back into it. But um, when they started coming out on Blu-ray a few years ago, I got the first set, the first series, and ripped it. And um, it's kind of been carried around with me ever since. And I haven't really got round to watching it. <laughs> so. What happened was that basically over the last couple of months or so, I've been having a external storage reorganisation at home. I thought you were going to say nervous breakdown. That would be uh, an, <laughs> an equally fair way of putting it. But anyway, I'm in, I've been in the process of getting everything organised. And in the middle of this, I came across these professionals, things that I'd written years and years ago. And I was like... I should give those another go, you know. And then I saw something on a forum about, about the professionals somewhere. Uh, on the, it was on the When Saturday Comes forum. I just saw somebody briefly mention the professionals. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, yeah, I've got to get on with that. And so I sat down and watched like the first episode and it blew my mind. Yeah. I think you will attest to how excited I was. Well, yeah, and it, the day it, after I saw it. To be fair, it is an extremely well. I mean, for one thing, you had me watching it more or less immediately afterwards. Yeah. Such was your glee. I was like, "You have got to see this." It's shit. a very strong start. I mean, the 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 basic plot of the first episode is that there's a rogue anti biological weapons scientist who wants the Prime Minister to ban all weapons, all of them. If his demand isn't met, then he's going to put a substance ten times stronger than LSD in London's, presumably, drinking water. Yeah, and then he's going to go to Spain, because he's Keith Barron. Of course. Duty free. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Within about the first 15, 20 minutes of that first episode, I was like, this isn't making any sense. <laughs> On a pure cosmic cognitive level, these people are not talking the way people speak. No. And the story, the plot is just jumping around from place to place. Yeah, the story is purely expendable. I need to kind of, I don't know, tune up or detune. Tune differently. Yeah. My brain. In order to get the most out of it. Body! Something that might interest us. Then it must be death or disaster. Certainly death. And if it's tied into an arms robbery, it could be disaster. It's essentially a programme about three people. All other people involved are utterly expendable, as are (laughs) plot points in the story. (laughs) So you'll find that if it doesn't involve Cowley, the boss, and his two subalterns, Doyle and Bodie... Yeah, someone's going to die. Someone's going to die. You know it. Some weeks one of them will be able to speak Japanese or understand the idiom of Belgian French. 
Yeah. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That will never come up again, and it's because oh, yeah, it no, was needed no. at that time. Oh, and by the way, someone's just walked in. We've shot them. But that's not to say, of course, because we watched that episode the other day where they were particularly vengeful. Mm-hmm. And it was all because someone had caused the death of a friend of theirs. But the friend of theirs was totally expendable. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. He, he like, you know... We knew nothing he of got, He got shot, didn't they? He got shot, and they were very upset about it, although they didn't show it. Yeah, and and we'd never seen him before in any of the previous episodes. Yeah, of course. you're not going to see him since. <laughs> and, well, obviously, but yeah, I mean, it's that sort of thing that just makes it so wonderful. It exists entirely in its own Union Jack waving, <laughs> extremely right wing universe. How right? Well, I mean, I don't know how right wing it is. Very right wing. I mean, I say I don't know how right wing it is. We decided we were going to choose one episode to basically form the framework of this. Mm. And we chose the episode Clansman, which was scheduled to yeah. be the final episode of the first series, but never got shown because of its explicit racial content. Yes, it was pulled. So, you know, there's a certain amount of right wing in there. Particularly, <laughs> it has to be bit. said... Bodhi, who, despite having grown up as a mercenary in Africa, it turns out is completely racist. Yeah, but the thing is that I don't recall him having been racist in previous episodes. Well, it never came up, so it's never to be addressed, did it? And so, suddenly, this is just something that's being just dropped in out of nowhere. I can't imagine that, you know, if I was Lewis Collins, I'd be a bit pissed off about that. I don't like it. I hate it. I revile it. It's still police business, sir. Not anymore. I'm making it our business, my business. That's overreacting a bit, isn't it? I mean, after all, all they did was plant a cross in a spade's garden. Bodie, you're taller than me. You're bigger. But if you ever use that word again in this office, you'll find out that you're not tougher. All right, so I'm overreacting. But I've seen and fought prejudice of one kind or another all my life. And I intend to keep on fighting it. Yes, I'm overreacting, all right. But by God, somebody's got to. Me, you, all of us. Any questions, Bodie? If this is what if this will be the thing that people will be talking about in forty four years time, but at the same time, obviously one of the the the, the plot always needs to be served, and one of the key things about this plot is that Doyle had to go undercover alone, deep undercover. Yeah. So Bodie needs to be got out of the way. Uh, what better way for him to get shanked by a gang of black youths? And then undergo a sort of Damascene conversion from being a hardcore racist to an accepting and broad-minded member of society. You could just have him not be a racist in the first place. That, well, you know, he, just just yeah. throwing that out. He could, yeah, he could, they could have just written that he was going on holiday or something. I don't know. I mean, maybe that would be unrealistic. But the point is, of course, in the professionals' universe, it's there to serve a purpose, which is to create this slightly absurd, presumably gammon-fisted attempt to prove a point. I think that that love is colourblind. Yeah, I think it is in its own way, when you've only got three characters who are liable to stay around until the end of the episode. Yeah. It was an interesting way of shoehorning a bit of dialectic in. 
Because obviously well, yeah. they're a bit one note otherwise. They all broadly agree with the aims of CI5, Criminal Intelligence 5. So far as I see it, Bodhi is the one who will go along with whatever he's told to do. Yeah, he'll raise his and eyebrow. he comes from like a military background, sort of. Yeah. Whereas Doyle comes at it from a police point of view. Yeah. Where you're taught to question everything rather than purely blindly following orders. Yeah. So presumably the original aim of the program was to contrast those two. Yeah. Of course, the problem is that it just gets subsumed under this tidal wave of weirdness. And there's no other way of putting it. But the fact of the matter is, you're not laughing at it. (laughs) No. You're not watching it because it's bad. You're watching it because it's absolutely mesmerising. Oh, yeah. Mouth has been agape frequently because they've gone there sometimes. They've, You think, have they just done that? There have been times that I have had to spool it back and watch it again just to check that what happened, happened. Well, you played that nice, really nice. Didn't say a word. You didn't have to. Where are you, Bodie? This is England, you know, now. Don't look behind you, because there's no gunboat and Victoria's long gone. You see his car? More than I could afford. And the house? More than I could ever afford. But he's a spade. And I'm saying it outside of Cowley's office. Blacktown. Where in Blacktown? Well, Zadie held up five evictions from property held by the Miller Trust. Maybe they can tell us what happened last night. We watched the Klansman episode, yes. didn't we? We Together. Did. Yes. And it was the first... Was it the first time you'd seen it? It was the second time I'd seen it. It was the first time you'd seen it in a long time. Yeah, it was the first time I'd seen it in a long time. I'd forgotten a lot about it. And um, there's the bit where they're in his car, and it's just before he gets stabbed. Yeah. And they're in his car. Oh, it is. Because they're, and they're in his car, and he's giving him a dressing down. Yeah. Because he used the word spade. Which is a fair enough point. Yeah, which is, you know. And then he turns around to him, and he says, so where are we going then? <laughs> and, he, and he says, Blacktown. <laughs> And that was the point at which I really lost my shit. To be fair there, he did repeat it, so you didn't need to spool it back. Because otherwise, otherwise, you obviously, you would have had to spool it back. The one that really got me was in an episode, uh, the third episode of the first series, called Old Dog with New Tricks. And this featured a man holding a nurse hostage by putting a grenade down her bra. And Bodhi diffused this situation when he found out that uh, the fuse on these particular grenades was 10 seconds by shooting the miscreant, running towards him. And then as this, this the woman, who was played by Pamela Stevenson, flailed and tried to disrobe and then find the grenade and get rid of it, Lewis Collins 
as Bodhi just punched her in the face. <laughs> just yeah. punches her right in the puss. And she's, you know, she's unconscious so that he can, you know, tear her blouse off and get the grenade out from her bra and fling it in a hospital bin. Now, this might sound a little bit far-fetched, and it was. No, but it is one of those moments where you're not even angry at it because it's just such a what the fuck did I just say? Why did he do that? It was absolute, yeah. And the thing is, I'm certain that there's probably like some fucking geezer in the SAS or whatever who can email in and tell us that that is an appropriate course of action. I mean, obviously, if she continued to flap and he hadn't been able to get rid of the grenade, the grenade would have blown her up. And that obviously would have been a fatal injury. So, Oh, yeah, I mean, doubtless that's the defence. You know, that's the case for the defence. But But he didn't half give her a wallop. It wasn't half a wallop. (laughs) And, 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 and like I say, I was—I had like a couple of seconds silence, and then I just burst into laughter. Blacktown. I, I, I had that couple of seconds where I had to just take that into. Did he just say Blacktown? A sim- yeah, the, the, there is a period of assimilation. Presumably that's the place where all the blacks live. And it was. What a coincidence. Where are we going? Blacktown. Where in Blacktown? This episode, uh, Klansman, deals with a group of white separatist hoodlums, hoodlums, and a keep Britain white political group who are, you know, obviously with higher paramilitary goals in their future. And their opposition, a suave and capable lawyer called Mr. Zaidi, who's a very successful and accomplished black lawyer. Well, I have a question. With a white wife, which obviously gets Bodhi's hackles right up. Yeah, I I have a question about Mr. Zaidi. Yeah. He is clearly very comfortably off. He has a a wine-coloured Mercedes-Benz car. Yeah. Lives in what looks like a kind of detached house. Yep. Leisure activity is bridge afternoon. Yep. With rich white people. Now, the thing about that is, all right, okay, he's working to help his community. And that's all very well. He's not charging for it, is he? Yeah, that is interesting. Because if he isn't, how is he making a living? Because this seems to be... Because they, they do kind of sit him down and question him about it. Yeah. Yeah. When they first go to his house, and um, and he goes and he talks a little bit about it, you know, but he doesn't mention that he does anything else at all. It's true. So my question is, how wealthy has he got, or has he switched into this from something else? Which is fair, you know, if he's made his million or whatever into a place of pure benevolence. He just takes yeah, on know, pro might, bono. Yeah, I mean, he might have earned £5 million by the time he was 40 and decided to retire. Well, he might be independently wealthy from other means. Who knows? He might be independently wealthy from other means. Who knows? But it is implied that he is a rich solicitor. If you're looking for plot holes to be filled in, you're in the wrong oh, place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You know, this podcast, I'm warning you now, listeners, I don't know. We're 20 minutes in. As the crow flies on this. 
<laughs> uh, it's before edits. So this will probably be like 30 seconds in or something. <laughs> I could talk about this episode of The Professionals quite easily for six hours. Well, if I go quiet at any point, it's because I've gone to sleep. Fallen asleep. But and know, I will just go keep going. I will just keep going until you wake up. Yeah, <laughs> I have no doubt. To, in order to help Mr. Zadie, Doyle takes up with the Keep Britain Clean, Keep Britain Pure Empire Society. You can argue that that bit is all in bad taste. And I'm pretty certain that the people who do it are like specialist operatives rather than people who just turn up at the meeting and go shove their way down the front straight away and start shouting, kill him, kill him. Well, it's a bit like CI5, it seems to me. You don't get into the Empire Society. You have to be recruited. And the way, of course, that Doyle is recruited is by the ingenious means of a staged fight in a pub between him and Jack's a short-lived, no doubt, fellow professional who has worked with him for unspecified months or years. Yeah. yeah. We've never seen him before. We've never seen him before. We'll, we'll never see him again. <laughs> we'll probably never see him again. Gin and tonic. I said a gin and tonic. Uh, yeah, I, I think that he was... I think, <laughs> I think what he's trying to say is I was here first. No, no, I was here first. You might have been in Africa first, but I was here first. Gin and tonic. See, I've read all the history books, you see. There was um, Vikings, there was Romans, there was William the Conqueror. No spades. A gin and a tonic. Who are you going to serve? The real people or the monkeys? Look, I don't like that word. Which word? Monkeys? Or spades. As spades, you dig graves with. And monkeys, well, they look a lot like you. What are you? Forget the gin and tonic. So this staged fight gets him in. But when he's in, I thought the the boldest move on his part was that when they asked him for his name, he just gave his, his name as Ray Doyle, which... Is his name. I think if they'd asked him what he did, he would have said, I'm a CI5 agent. Yeah, I'm investigating. I'm investigating far right this place. Group. Yeah, yeah. Undercover. Actually, but it, yeah. it's a different far right group, not this one. Yeah. This one I'm doing just for me. I mean, the thing is that this came at a time of increasing racial tension in this country, you know. Well, yeah, the things really started to things really started to bottom out about 1978 79. It was due so. this is was due to be broadcast this episode on the 24th of March 1978. So, yeah, so couple of years hmm. after the Notting Hill riot, a couple of years before the Bro- Brixton and Toxteth riots. Uh yeah, I mean Toxteth and Brixton were 81. I've got a feeling that not the Notting Hill riots was seventy nine, I think. Well, they're like a good riot in Notting Hill. But I mean, you know, it was seemed to be everywhere. Yeah, know. it was. It was a sort of very much something that was on a lot of people's minds at the time. I mean, the National Front were big, uh, and the BNP were inexplicably big. 
Well, it was in, at the end of the 1970s. It was about all about the National Front. I watched the documentary that's just been released on Netflix about capturing the nail bomber. Do you remember the nail bomber? Oh, yeah. And some of the footage of the leader of the BNP that they had was more or less completely identical to some of the stuff that was depicted in this episode at the Empire Society. So it's not particularly far-fetched. White-robed men were observed running from the scene. So that means some of us are implicated. Some of us must have done it. Who? The connotations are quite clear. Arthur Pimer, Negro, unemployed. I don't weep tears for his kind. A part of me approves the action. But by God, not without my say-so without my approbation. Now, who did it? Perhaps I don't want to know. But I do want you to know. An act like this threatens our organization, threatens us. The act of death only engenders sympathy. And people leaning towards our cause are suddenly shocked, revolted, wanting nothing to do with us. A foolhardy gesture like this, no matter what the provocation, can stop us all before we've even started. One more act of folly, and our movement will be held in contempt, hounded out of existence. Now, let's go scare the ass of that flash nigger lawyer. Oh yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I. You know, I don't think the fact that the political, this sort of political party, is actually far fetched at all. What I do find far fetched, however, is that this bloke is talking about how they're basically just about to start their revolution. Yeah, and there's only about sixty of them. <laughs> I know, and there's some pasty looking motherfuckers in it, that room. Yeah, yeah, there's about sixty of them. There aren't that many who seem to be under about the age of 45. No. They don't all look in supreme health. It seems to me that their race war is probably not going to quite go the way that they they hope it will. I I would think that that is more or less guaranteed, having seen the force. The only person they've got who's, I think, a really capable fighter there is Ray Doyle. And he's an undercover CI5 agent. Yeah. We should probably just quickly delve into CI5. Because we haven't specifically talked about CI5's role here. CI5 do not exist. They are portrayed as being a a sort of organisation that exists outside of the law, essentially. Able to do Mm. what they want and sweep up the stuff that is too big for the police and it's too important or high profile or low profile, it depends on the week, for MI5. Yeah, they're a kind of mixture of the security services and the police. But you I do get the, the, the wonderful 
fact of they exist in this completely greyest of grey areas. Oh yeah, yeah. They they live in this world. They they can spend the initial part of any investigation just going, well, this why is this a job for us? We want to be yeah. doing our leisure pursuits, which I don't know, drinking, um, other cisgender male things. What it does get right, it gets really, really right. Yeah. Okay. The action sequences are genuinely brilliant. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's stock in trade if it couldn't it's, do that. You know, it does what it does. It doesn't... I don't know quite how to put this. It calls no man sir. <laughs> it's do, Right, okay, yeah, it's doing it on its own terms. It inhabits this fucking crazy universe, which is quite a lot like ours, but not entirely. Yeah, it's got a lot of the same organisations as ours. The people speak differently to us. True. Things happen for different reasons there. They have slightly different gravitational pull. Things are just a little bit different. I think it's it's our world, but just Mm. the cream. Just the cream taken off. There's no depth. But the thing is, that if you're prepared to accept that (laughs) this is their world, and this is just how shit works. Then, actually, what you've got is like a really kind of good, solid adventure show, you know? Yeah. Two people taking care of business. Yeah. The thing is that, holy shit, you, if you do that, you're kind of missing out, really. Because the solid gold in this program is unabashed and unashamed. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, and it doesn't mean that it isn't brilliantly, superbly funny. <laughs> I can pull out eight or ten things from every single episode, which are just, they don't make any sense. No. In Clansman, yeah. for example. Yeah. You know, I'll just chuck something in. Hang on a minute. Um, right, okay, so in Clansman, there's a bit where Doyle has somehow managed to overpower this, like, heavy um, What, Tony Booth? Guy. Yeah, Tony Booth. Yeah. Being a racist this time, so quite yeah, a... Yeah, playing against career, type. Career change for him. And anyway, throughout this, there's this kid who's about, probably about 13 or 14, maybe? Uh, I think that that's, yeah, I think that's what he's... His name's Tommy. Say, you're pretty good. What are you doing here? Never know. Might need some help. Yeah, we'll stay there. Both hands against the middle, eh? You join Halton's mob, but you work for Miller. Now, Halton only plays at this clan thing, but Miller does it for real. And so do you, baby. And between the two of you, Make sure the blame goes on Halton. Now, you would correct me if I was wrong, wouldn't you? I'm just tired. I do as I'm ordered. I do as I'm told. You do what's in your nature. Kill the Jews. Run the blacks out of town. Kick the weak. Well, you kicked the wrong one when you kicked me. Because I'm going to take you apart. I'll get Mr. Dove. Yeah, he's got a... An enormous afro. It's a fucking brilliant afro. 
I love it. Excellent. Yeah, good look. Yeah. Donald's got a gun. <laughs> and he's enlisting this 13-year-old kid to help tie up these two very dangerous men. Oh, the, you mean these people are dangerous. They've already beaten Doyle to the point that Tommy had to bring him first aid, which was in, yeah. in a scene that, as it, which, as it intercuts it with uh, Bodie slowly recuperating in hospital and discovering that actually black people are people too. And, you know, you get that, that juxtaposition of the physical and the mental bodies being healed for both of our heroes. Shut up. <laughs> what you've got is, you've got Doyle, who they inexplicably take to exactly the same place that Bodie was stabbed. Yeah, there's only one place. I mean, they weren't anything to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't anything at all to do with that. And they no. just happened to choose this apparently, a presumably haunted water town. Do we ever get to the bottom of that crime? It doesn't seem to ever be investigated. No, 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 no. Because the thing is, they just stab him and that's the end of that. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's got yeah. Doesn't matter. What happens next yeah, is, is just, yeah, that whatever. Just, just get on with it. Yeah, but so these are dangerous got... men. These are very dangerous men. Yeah, and Tommy is, uh, uh, you know, not a fully grown a th- white man. Th- he's, he's a fourteen-year-old black kid. Yeah, he's he's this fourteen-year-old black kid in a racist gang headquarters. And um, and uh, and he no, and no, oh no, 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 no. They have a brief conversation about it, but Doyle's all in favour of him staying to help. No hint of child protection going on there. Whatsoever. He writes out the credentials so he can give them to Cowley when Cowley arrives. He um it, that piece of paper just says I'll have one pure malt scotch <laughs> when this is done. <laughs> Cowley knows the code. They it can't know, be yeah, Bodie. That's what I was wondering actually. I think that's exactly what it says. Yeah, it it can't be Bodie. Let let's discuss Cowley. For me, the best character in this show. He's the hard bitten former Spanish Civil War fighter on the Republican side. He was in the British Army and reached the rank of Major. He was in MI5. Um, He's hard-boiled and he has one major passion in life, which is seeing that justice is served and drinking pure malt scotch. Yeah, two, two major passions. I think there is an unspoken... There's a... Cowley's got a drinking problem. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Cowley has got a serious drinking problem. The way that well, he casually puts away a pure malt scotch and obviously gives a lot of thought. I think you do get the feeling he sits in his office all day waiting for the latest report from Bodie and Doyle because he doesn't really care about any of the other officers. Well, they're, I mean, there's, the a, there's, a, there's a yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpick here. So let's firstly kick off by mentioning that Cowley is played by Gordon Jackson, the late Gordon Jackson. He's a wonderful character actor. Yep. And he is, by a fucking country fucking mile, the best actor in this. Oh, he's he has established, I think in his own mind, exactly who this character is. Yeah. It's just he's not at any point given the reign to explore that in any way 
Yeah, well, I mean, he's probably the one that comes across as the least ridiculous. Certainly, yeah. I think the, the Bodhi is the one that comes across as the most ridiculous. Well, I mean, this is the thing, you see. I was thinking about this earlier today. I've been thinking about this a lot. You've been thinking about it as much as Cowley thinks about pure malt scotch. I was thinking about the fact that these two are designed to be the yin to each other's yang. Oh, yeah, I think so. Although they're quite similar. (laughs) Doyle is the more physically imposing of the two of them. He's more impetuous. He is, I think, the better shot. And I think he is the better fighter. But at the same time, he's... The one who is going to question Cowley. Then on the other side of it, you've got Bodie, who's a bit dim, bit of a racist, only really has two facial expressions. Yeah, eyebrow up or nostrils fled. He will follow that whatever order he's told to do. There is no questioning his dedication to what he does and he has... Almost certainly demonstrated time and time again that he will die for this. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he is steel hard. Yeah. Has no fear of death. Yeah. And fundamentally is probably a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and But the thing is that, you know, I, I should imagine that if you were to take Cowley to one side, he'd probably say to you, well, the, the perfect soldier would be the talents and abilities of this one. And the attitude of that one. Possibly. But of course he hasn't got that. Maybe that's what Cowley was. Yeah. And the thing is that this was all... this. I, I don't know whether that's... You know, whether there's anything in that or whether I'm just rambling. But what I do know is that... I'm pretty sure that the idea of having them as chalk and cheese was intentional. Because I'm pretty sure that they were quite heavily influenced by Starsky and Hutch. I should think so, yeah. And they and that they wanted that kind of buddy buddy sort of thing, you know. I think that was that was deliberate so that the wisecracking is all part of it. Of course the problem is that the wisecracking doesn't look quite so wise if it comes 15 seconds after somebody's face has just been blown off, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's it's the fact that it moves and shifts so incongruously is is part of what makes it. You know, the whip-smart wisecracks and badinage and camaraderie also do seem a little bit bleached by the fact that they're being delivered by a couple of blokes who've just got out of a triumph dolomite sprint. In Great Missenden Eye Street. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, because we do probably need to talk about the production of this programme. <laughs> well, I thought it was real. The programme was made, actually, effectively by independent producers. And it was kind of all done under the London Weekend Television name, and they kind of set the budget for it. <laughs> and uh, for the first series, they did not want to set the budget. Um to do the scenes that they wanted to do in central London. Yeah. With the result that the first series of The Professionals all seems to take place in Buckinghamshire (laughs) and a bit in Hertfordshire. (laughs) 
and uh, I haven't actually stopped to check, but I'm a bit. I'm pretty certain on this that it was that it was made at Pinewood. You were saying to me that in the episode Stakeout, in which yeah. a white African group leave an atomic bomb in a bowling alley, that yeah. you've been in that bowling alley. Well, I think it's Hemel Hempstead Bowling Alley. Call the Atomic Bomb Squad. Yeah, call the Atomic Bomb Squad. I mean, I've only <laughs> been to a couple of bowling alleys in my life. Yeah, that's very sensible. But, um, yeah, call the... One of the more memorable lines of the series. Call the Atomic Bomb Squad. <laughs> I mean, well, what's their number, then? <laughs> nine, nine, ten. No, nine, nine... <laughs> Yeah, so remember that, because you never know when you might need the nuclear bomb squad to come There you go, just dial, just dial 9910. <laughs> <laughs> just dial 9910, we'll come and sort it out. Or we won't. But oh, our dear. guarantee is, if we fail to defuse your errant nuclear device, you won't remember it. <laughs> You won't have time to sue us. What a programme. What a show. I think I think that the home counties aspect does add something to it. It just adds a, a little bit of the weird you about do get Because this you know? programme reminded me a lot of Spooks. And of course, Spooks is set in central London. Yeah, um, it's like one of the episodes is basically set in Marlowe. Yeah. <laughs> I just Marlow on Thames. That's I, I, one of, that must be one of the poshest towns. Yeah, Marlow on Thames. I just treat this as being. This is what's going on in the home counties, while what's going on in Spooks is going on in London. Well, it's weird because I mean, I was you know I lived a, a, a substantial period of time in the home counties, and uh, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. To see St Peter's Street in St Albans make an appearance, <laughs> you know, or if they were after, if they were after something a bit more brutalist, the pedestrian shopping centre in Hatfield. Well, yeah, it's just so it, it is just kind of peculiar. But then at the same time, after you've done two or three episodes of it, it's just the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, there is a there is a worrying crossover point where you stop thinking about it. And in, sometimes you need something to jolt you back into mm. reality. We watched an episode, a very appropriately named episode the other day, Everest Was Also Conquered, episode eight. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. features a one and a half minute long scene between Bodie and Cowley where they discuss yeah. pure malt scotch and whether or not yeah. you should ever throw pure malt scotch in someone's face. Dirty just took a glass of scotch in the face. Scotch? Pure malt, particularly good. Then you're not just deaf, you're daft. A pure malt scotch in a face like yours. They're not going to talk about anything else in this scene, are they? And they didn't. And they didn't. And that's the only way that they can occasionally just give you that jolt. It's like a, the myoclonic jerk that your body sends <laughs> to just check it's still alive. That's the jolt to go. You remember that you're watching The Professionals. Yeah, well, it's like the bit in the, you know, to take it to another uh, place. It's like the bit um, in the episode with the Greek nationalists. <laughs> yes, killer with a long arm. Where they're killer with a long arm. Yeah, and the thing is, 
that I mean we'll come back to this because we have to is that firstly they've got a gun that's got a two mile range who hasn't you know and secondly so they're planning to assassinate somebody is it the king of Greece is he the king it's of some, Greece yeah it's some sort of high or some up in the dignitary or yeah. political whatever at Wimbledon and, at Wimbledon and they've got a clear sight exactly where he's going to be sitting two miles away two miles away it just so it turns out that there By is coincidence somewhere in but southwest in... london there is a block of flats that is exactly two miles and with a clear line of sight to the royal box and center court of wimbledon and just in case you were wondering about their ethnicity they're in this kitchen and there's a poster on the wall yeah with a picture of the acropolis and the word greece in English, it actually it actually wasn't the, even the Acropolis. It was just a was it not? No, it was just a blue house. Was it just a blue house? Look with with the word Greece the... written in Roman script, obviously. Just Greece written across the middle of that's the what that's what Greek people call Greece, and in those exact characters. Yeah, don't and don't it's, ever it's forget. Amazing. It's fantastic. It, as I say, it's the cream of of life. It's every episode is. It's it's a very modern show in that they say of modern TV shows, oh, each one's like a film. And this one is like a film, but it's like a two-hour long film that they've edited down to 50 minutes. So all of, the, yeah. all of the bits you might find out about, all of the niceties and the vagaries and the who's what and wherefores and why-fores, they have had to be cut out because they eat into Bodhi diving off a balcony onto a Greek with a So you think gun. that each one started out its life as a feature-length episode? Well, I mean, which obviously... Which was then yeah. savagely hacked to pieces no, obviously until not. What only actually the exciting happened, bits remain. What actually happened, as I found out myself the other day, is that the writer, Brian Clemens, possibly the creator of the show... Just just started writing. And in 10 minutes, he'll have 10 minutes of material. And then after 50 minutes, he's got an episode. I found this out by dint purely of I just started to write an episode of The Professionals in a, in a WhatsApp conversation to you. Now... You did. I, I was amazed at how quickly it flowed. And the, one of the great benefits of there not being any firm brief for what the character's job is or backstory <laughs> to any of the characters. Yeah. The fact yeah. that they are just blank ciphers is unbelievably liberating because you can make up any shit you like. You don't need to justify it apart from possibly within its own ludicrous world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then oh, I agree. I agree. With you just have some fun with the characters. So obviously... I say that that's what it's like. It's like it's a two-hour-long movie, but I know full well that it was written very specifically. The The final page of each script was, just said the words, invoice enclosed, I think. He's an interesting one, Brian Clemens. Yeah, what's he been up to apart from this? Well, so, believed to be a direct descendant of uh, Mark Twain. Already that is quite interesting. Samuel Samuel Clemens. Um, Imagine Mark Twain to give him his, writing, to give him his writing for the professionals. He started out actually um, as a scriptwriter for this geezer who, in the, I think it was in the fifties, 
and they would just turn up at existing film sets and pay a very small amount of money to use the film sets that these other films had already just finished and were about to demolish. Yeah. So his job would be this guy would come to him and he'd effectively kind of say to him, well, look, right, okay, I've got the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah. I've got... UFO. A, a UFO. Camel. And, and yeah, and the Pentagon. <laughs> and you've got two weeks... To write me a film script. And don't you even think about writing around the camel. The camel is very important to this film. And the thing is, right, the thing is, that if you actually think about it, that's a hell of a discipline. Oh, absolutely. You know, and fair fucks, you know. He was was also involved in The Avengers in the 1960s. And you can kind of see... uh, that link because the Avengers always played up its Britishness. Yeah. And the professionals does as well. The professionals is always referred to as being a kind of direct descendant of the Sweeney. And whilst I understand the comparisons, I actually think it's the Avengers is a better fit. As its direct descendant, particularly as like I say, the same geezer was involved in both of them, and so this 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 idea that there has to be something patriotic about it it pervades right the way through it, and so it is very curious when it suddenly swings from some pretty iffy politics and behaviour towards particularly women <laughs> that it should suddenly veer off in an anti-Nazi direction. It's um. But the thing is that that's what the programme does to you, and it this keeps you on your toes, did, if nothing else. Did Brian Clemens also write Who Dares Wins? No, he didn't. I don't think he did. Oh, OK. Because uh, obviously that would be... Who Dares Wins is probably Lewis Collins's finest hour, isn't it? Peace group. Perfect. That's Bodie explored to the max in a film where nobody speaks like a human being or acts like a human being. Yeah, Who Dares Wins is a remarkable film and I strongly urge you all to watch it. I think it's on YouTube. It is, I, I believe. Yeah. I'm just looking up who it was written by now. Reginald Rose. 
Yeah. Uh, Reginald Rose, who also wrote one episode of The Twilight Zone. (laughs) He co-wrote the 1986 TV movie My Two Loves, starring Mariette Hartley and Lynn Redgrave. Wow. That's a broad portfolio. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. He wrote the play of 12 Angry Men. Oh, okay. The original play. He received an Emmy for it and an Oscar nomination. I'm sure he did. So there you go. So he is somebody that that had done something, yeah. you know, before. Uh, but who dares wins is almost incomprehensible. It's, mag- it's magnificent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It's... Uh... It's like it's like the professionals on steroids. It's, well, yeah. It's, again, it's it's a by the numbers sort of procedural drama for something where there is no necessarily predefined procedure. Yeah, and and possibly it's been translated from another language before they started reading yeah. the lines out. Yeah, I mean, it's so strange. When you start to view it through the headspace that what I'm watching here is Johnny Mercer's wank fantasy. Yeah. Do you think there's any of that in The Professionals? Yeah, as soon as you view it through that prism, it's like the guns, all the constant punching. Yeah. The casual abuse of women who want who come back for more. The grotesquely oversimplified politics. Nuance-free polit- political stances. Nuance-free, nuance-free zone. These stupid kind of straw men. The obsession with fast cars. Absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. The male bonding. Oh yeah, absolutely. The buddy buddy thing. You know, you have to have three of them so people don't start thinking they're gay. Obviously. Of course. Well, that was a truism in TV, or considered a truism in TV adverts for a really long time, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it's true. It was. You you go back and watch beer adverts in the 1980s, and you'll always find that it's three people, or whatever, or four people, or five people, or more often than that, than two people, one person. Why? Why did the, no, no, nobody just assume that they were just three gay men living in a thruple? They. You didn't have thruples in the 1980s, for goodness sake. If you did, then ever-decreasing circles would have been a very short-lived sitcom. Or just a very different one. I think there's a, there's a chance that if, if there were going to be thruples in ever-decreasing circles, uh, Martin Price might have defected to Howard and Hilda. I think that you should do a drawing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave that there. What, of ever-decreasing circles? I know exactly what it would look like. Well, I'm sure you... <laughs> That's a programme... That is another programme that uh, once our initial unquenchable, unexploded... Bloodlust. <laughs> ...for the professionals has passed, that, that I will. think that's the next one up on the chopping block, isn't it? Ever-decreasing ever decreasing circles. Ever-decreasing circles, yeah, it warrants it. It warrants it. Well, we've we we've probably pretty much done our time now, haven't we? Well, I would say so. I've barely started. I mean, Christ Almighty, we haven't touched on the Red Army faction, <laughs> who 
in spite of the fact that knowing, knowing fully well that he was the only armed person in that building and there were four of them. Yeah. For some reason, after having been brutal up to that point with their use of machine guns, suddenly decided to try and break into the house and break into the room that they barricaded themselves in. We haven't mentioned the vicar. Yeah, that's true. Who tried to climb out the window to negotiate with them and then they shoot him six or seven times in the worst, clumsiest analogy I've ever seen. Well, the, the scientist who leaves a tainted half pint of bitter on a bar, a man drinks it, trips balls to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. <laughs> Doesn't, but instead of going, oh god, somebody might have spiked my drink, or something really weird's happening, I need to sit down, he still goes off and gets in his car and goes for a drive. Yeah, and also, I mean, let's not forget Atom Bomb in a Bowling Alley. Yeah. I can't remember, I can't remember what sort of a bag it's in. Hopefully it's a head bag, that would be very good. But, I mean, you just, you have to watch it. Yeah, just you have watch to it. watch it. Absorb it. Don't, for God's sake, take it too seriously. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the best two series aren't on the ITV hub at the moment. Yeah, that is a shame. I don't know whether it will go on in a loop and it will get round to back to series one. Hopefully, yeah. But hopefully it will. And I hope also, because the only thing I the only other thing I haven't touched upon is. the uh, quality of the broadcasts. Because um, until the Blu-ray versions of The Professionals came out, and it started in, I want to say it was about 2010, maybe 2011, something like that. The only copies that were believed to exist looked like they had been filmed through a special lens made out of the same glass as a Perrier water bottle. <laughs> well, it's got everything is has this green wash all over. The the professionals has something of a checkered history, of course, mm. because even during the run, one of the actors in it, Martin Shaw, believed that it was trash, one dimensional, schoolboy's yeah. own wank f- fodder. Yeah. So when it came round to them saying, shall we release it on VHS? Shall we put it on TV again? Martin Shaw, I think... He used his veto. They have a right to Well, veto. he didn't so much veto it, I think, as, as he just put forward his demands for repeat fees, which were ast- so astronomical that they went, oh, well, fuck this off. Lewis Collins, who obviously thought that this was a, a great auteur's masterpiece, were, I believe, and Martin Shaw fell out over that. My understanding is that, for sure, it was a matter of principle that he set the rate so high that they wouldn't agree it. I don't think he was expecting that money. I think he wanted them not shown again. And the coda to that particular story is that in 1992, after finding out that Gordon Jackson hadn't left very much of an estate and his wife... Uh, was into poverty, falling into poverty, he actually relaxed it, and that's when the repeat started on the TV again. Yeah. 
But so I mean, there you go. That's a, that's a nice ending, well, kind of. Isn't it? it is, but I mean, obviously, it's not a surprise to find a green tinted, shambling old print of it because it hasn't yeah, necessarily those, been yeah, best looked. I didn't up. actually look. I, I looked on the ITV hub to see if it was on there because I wanted to give the, listen, the the listeners the option to watch it, and uh, it's got all bar about the first four episodes of season. Three, and then the whole of season four is on there and that's fine the thing about the professionals is it starts high but for the second season london weekend television increased the budget a bit and so they did shoot more in london but it still keeps that craziness about it and in fact if anything i would say that my recollection of season two is that it's crazier still Whoa. but i haven't seen I haven't seen any of those in donkey's years. Well, this is this is the other this is the other key point to make here is that we've not even started season two yet. No, so, we haven't. Not 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 this time. I saw a couple of episodes of it years ago. So we we because it's no been because it's been on a loop on ITV three, ITV four, one of those possibly for years both and of years them. and years. <laughs> it's 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 been on one or other of those for years. And that's that. I think is why it's on ITV Hub. I had a look; it's not on BritBox. All the time that I've I, I've seen the professionals there, I've probably bypassed the professionals to record countless episodes of Quincy. Yeah. Without realizing that I was turning my back on some sweet, sweet entertainment. Yeah, I mean, what happened actually was that I think they thought they'd lost the master tapes. Not a surprise. And then and then they turned up, and that was how they were able to remake it. Um, the one thing that I would say, very much in its favour, is that they've done a fucking amazing job on the restoration. They've resisted the temptation to stretch it to widescreen. Yep. So you've got black bars down the side of it, because it's in a 4x3 revol- uh, resolution. But it looks immaculate. It looks really good, and it sounds really good. They brushed up the sound a bit. I mean, I think on the first series there was quite a bit of overdubbing of voices. Presumably, they couldn't quite get the sound levels right in some of the places where they were filming. Yeah, well, but um, it's such an improvement over what used to be there. And I actually found one of my old discs with like one of the earlier series on it. And got it out so I could have a little compare and contrast. It was a bit of a palaver. <laughs> um, but I did get it going in the end. And it looked awful by comparison. And this was like all that was available until 10, year, ten years ago. Yeah. I think it was about that. They found those master tapes in a barrel of single malt scotch. And they've never looked back. Yeah, so but well preserved. Preserved for 30 years. 30 year malt. <laughs> 30-year pure malt scotch. By hook or by crook, watch these. Watch yeah, them. I mean, like I say, they're on about a series and three quarters is on ITV Hub. You can buy the Blu-rays, although they're not cheap. Um, I've got a feeling they're about 20 quid a season. Yeah, you can get, you can get them for 20 quid a season uh, on Amazon Prime as well. Yeah, and they're about, and I, but like you don't get very much off for all the seasons, I don't think. 
No. So, you know, sorry about that. But, I mean, like I say, it, it looks fantastic. It looks really good. Then again, I mean, what we'll do, I think we'll just put your phone number out at the end of this podcast and anyone who wants to carry on talking about the professionals can do that with you. Yeah, just just leave me a text. Just stick my WhatsApp on there. Just drop me a WhatsApp. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's talk. I'll, I'll set up a group for it. Professionals chat. Professionals chat. People have group WhatsApps. They do. They do. They're I've only really, got one. They're very trendy. You're in it. Yeah, well, that's that's just uh, deeply unfortunate for you. I feel like I'm missing out. Well, who knows? You might be. Well, probably... not not on the not on the old professionals chat, I won't be. I'll tell you that much. Certainly not. You'll well, be... You've got a whole lot. We're one series in. We're 20% of the way through. Uh, Mrs. Adib, your husband said about last night that you couldn't identify these men. No, they were hooded and covered with sheets. Not much chance of seeing who anybody was. Anyway, I was more concerned about my husband. Well, I'll uh, go if you'll excuse me. Let's sit, gentlemen. Mr. Bodie, having seen those symbols, you think it's only a personal vendetta? That was the question you asked me, correct? Yes. Yet you were unable to hide your shock. A black man and a white woman? Mr. Zaddy, our interest with a black, white or sky blue pink is just with lawbreakers. Yes. I'm sure it is. Oh, Christ, yeah. And that fucking... That bloke's wife. That lawyer's wife. Yeah. (laughs) She didn't even seem to... How can a woman in a mixed-race marriage in the late 1970s not know what the Ku Klux Klan was? Well, she certainly did by the end, after they she burnt, did what she did by the burnt end. a cross on a lawn and chucked a bucket of diarrhoea in her face. How come both times they went to his house? <laughs> oh, in the first time, they beat him up and planted a flaming cross in his front garden. They did. The second time they shut, I don't know what it was, diarrhoea and custard? I'm not sure. Diarrhea, well, I mean, diarrhoea and spunk was your initial guess. I mean, obviously, Di- it's, yeah, it's quite initial. difficult to uh, get enough spunk for a bucket of spunk. Yeah. So, oh, God, my God, you know, that's a real, you've, you've got to make that bucket count. <laughs> you can't believe you missed there's a lot at stake. Yeah, it's just gonna, end up covering yourself. With there's going to be a lot of very, very angry, red, raw, penist racists yeah. out there if you miss with that bucket of spunk. Yeah. Although, to be fair, you know, it's not going to show up so much on those outfits, is it? This is this is what we've been reduced to. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Ku Klux Klan. One of the benefits of their uniforms is that it would cover any spunk. Bunk stains. <laughs> I do apologise for that. I've been trying to raise the tone of my general life. Yeah, well, it's not. It's not. It's not going well, is it? Good luck with that. You don't even know why you are doing this, do you? Slum tenements falling apart at the seams, but nevertheless home for some people. And Zadi has stood between you and eviction many times. But if you could get them out, every one of them, the land is worth nearly a million. Many men have killed for a lot less, a whole lot less. You didn't know what you were doing or who you were doing it for. That's the supreme irony. A dyed-in-the-wool black hater like you has never met Mr. Miller. 
Good evening, Mr. Miller. Do come in. We have so much to talk about. I mean, at the end of at the, at the end of this particular episode, it turns out that Mr. Miller of the Mi- Miller Trust, the racist organisation, is actually a suave mm-hmm. black businessman who's been trying to ferment race war to bring the local land prices down. Cue some spectacular scowly acting from Tony Booth. Very impressive. Yeah. And then Bodie goes on a date with the uh, the black nurse who's helped nurse him back to solves, uh, health. He solves racism. She has solved racism. He he so he, he's yeah, everything gets wrapped up. I don't understand why they have to have that final denouement that the guy who runs all of this is black. I don't know what the fuck they are trying to I think to maybe say they're trying that. to address maybe the audience's prejudices. And go, ah, it's one of those. But, it's one of those. Ah. Well, well, no, because the ah is the British arm of the Ku Klux Klan is run entirely selfishly by a black man. But yeah, I mean, I'm when, you, when you put it that. like that, that is tinfoil hat territory, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? I'm not having that at all. That's that's what. Well, yeah. Well, you've made you've made sucks. the common mistake there. You're analysing the plot of an episode of the professionals. Oh yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm trying to employ some sort of standards to it. I don't think it's particularly snowflakey <laughs> to say that the implication behind that isn't particularly nice. Well, yeah, it's possibly true it's definitely true <laughs> yeah alright it's possibly definitely true. <laughs> it's definitely definitely yeah true. it's definitely so. definitely no well I mean obviously I don't I don't dispute any of this but you do have to hold these things to a different standard often a lot lower than your normal standard yeah oh no 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 I do hold them to a different standard you know I, I'm a big boy I'm, I can cope with it it's just that there are there there are points that really make you gasp, and they're different types of gasp. You know, like I say, when he said we're going to Blacktown, I just gurgled like a little child. Oh, absolutely! The the, 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 the fact that they 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 couldn't telegraph it enough, yeah, without using that name. I mean, I that's that's just. No, there's there's a moment. There'll be a moment in every episode where you'll realise that your jaw is in your lap. Yeah, or more than one usually. <laughs> and to chuck that on, like the penultimate scene of the last episode of the series. Oh, by the way, the clan's run by a black guy. <laughs> is beyond despicable. The idea that it would be a black businessman trying to ferment a race war. Do me a fucking favour. <laughs> Jesus. Because <laughs> it's funny, because you know, cause the thing is that, you know, he's not using the black people to start this race war. He's using the white people. Yeah. Well, they're the stupidest people, aren't they? <laughs> 
Well, evidently, evidently, yeah. Evidently. Oh, you just have to look at the last five years of human history to <laughs> demonstrate Or the that. last last 296 podcasts we've done. Possibly also <laughs> that, yeah. If we're not living proof of how fucking stupid old white ears and I don't know. <laughs> oh, abs- well, we are 100% part of the problem. Uh, and if you're listening to it, then you're, I'm afraid you're part probably, of the problem you, too. You probably are, <laughs> you only encourage us. <laughs> oh, God. Right, well. Oh, dear. That's, so that's, there you that's go. That's a pure I mean, malt podcast right there. That is a pure malt podcast. The purest, maltiest podcast. I, I don't know. I'm going to miss talking about this on this podcast <laughs> as soon as I go downstairs I'm going to be like I-, I need to talk to somebody about the professionals <laughs> again again well you never know I mean well it's going to be you oh well, yeah that's true it's just not going to be on the podcast we'll just find out we'll, we'll just find out um, whether or not there are any dedicated professionals podcasts and see if you can wheedle your way into those every week every week without fail and then when I finish those, I'll just start me own. <laughs> I want to be clear that it occupies this very singular space. I can't tell you for sure how seriously it takes itself. Yeah. I I think it takes itself far more seriously than you would think it does from watching it. I suspect, like you, that it's, it takes itself more seriously than we take it. Yeah. But yeah, at the yeah. same time, it can't take itself fully seriously, can it? Can no, it? I don't think it... Well, I don't know. <laughs> can it? Could it? And that's what keeps you watching another episode. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that it's a unique television experience. Damn straight. I've watched a lot of television <laughs> in my life. Too much. And the fact that this has been missing... From my quiver mm. for such a long time is a scandal. But I'm so glad that I that I that I got round to it this time around. Because what actually happened was here. I was going through this hard drive, and I say reorganize, like re- reorganizing. I was going to delete a bunch of stuff, and this nearly went. It nearly made the cut. Oh, so I was like, man. Am I ever going to round to get? ever going to get around to watching the fucking professionals? Am I going to do that? And I looked at it and I thought well I have thrown the Blu-rays away (laughs) (laughs) so I can't rip it again Yeah God What a lucky escape But because they were from Blu-rays they're quite a big file size as well So uh I thought, okay, I'll watch one and we'll see where we go. We'll see where it ends up. And like I say, at the same time there was a post about it. Somebody said something about it on the when Saturday comes from. And so that's how we got from A to B. And I'm very proud of myself. (laughs) It's never going to get any better than this. No, this is it. This is our Everest. And then they conquered Everest. We're standing atop it with our Union Jack, with Gordon Jackson's face in the middle of it. And a bottle of pure... And a bottle of pure malt scotch. 
That's what it was designed for. What a cliffhanger. <laughs> Have we reached our Everest? Yeah. Only you decide. We'll be back again same time next week, probably. With with our new podcast, this is our K2. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Small group hunter. How would a small group wield real power? What would he need? Oh no. I think oh yes. We'll need a chopper and the nuclear bomb squad. Atomic. We'll need a chopper and the nuclear bomb squad. And the nuclear bomb squad. And the nuclear bomb squad. A small group hunter. How would a small group wield real power? What would he need? Oh no. I think oh yes. We'll need a chopper and the nuclear bomb squad. Chopper and the nuclear bomb squad. And the nuclear bomb squad. Oh no. I think oh yes.